Good morning, H-Town. Time to go to work. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. It's two weeks to go till draft weekend. The biggest chance by Lovey Smith's own admission this week to improve the talent on this roster and start building back in a meaningful way to get this squad back to competitiveness again. Got an expert to come and run through some prospects in the draft for you. But I just thought it was worthwhile reflecting on the career of Whitney Merciless. Didn't necessarily live up to his draft slate early on when he signed that extension. It was certainly a surprise. But then the output and the play that Whit got to and got his game to, predominantly under the stewardship of Mike Frabel as linebacker's coach, took his game to another level and completely outplayed that deal. Undisputed king of the community, one of the nicest guys you'll probably ever come across, had the pleasure of having a conversation with the guy um, and it's certainly something that was humble, a normal down-to-earth guy who just so happened to be a pro football player in the National Football League. Favourite play perhaps was the one in New England after the sadly departed quarterback's rookie year. And finally, the three-headed monster of Clowney, Watt and Merciless were all playing, all potentially at their primes or near enough. And Whitney bends the edge, beats Nate Solder, pops the ball out, and Clowney runs it into the house. And it felt like the team was coming together on offence and defence in a very meaningful way. It didn't last long. Whitney got injured on the primetime game in Kansas City a couple of weeks following. It never quite all came together for those three on defence, but certainly a guy who completely outplayed his contract. You can't hold that final deal that O'Brien gave to him against him. Good on him. He earned it. Um, he outplayed the previous deal. And he was a guy that you know will be you know forever remembered as a quality starter. And that's the type of guy that the Texans are going to have to try and draft in the next upcoming drafts with these extra picks. And Whitney Merciless, if he's the benchmark, you could do a lot worse than that standard. Brandon Cooks signed an extension. Nick Casario's first extension or major money handed out to any player um, that isn't a restructure. Um, certainly handed out some big signing bonus checks. It was a fair deal in terms of time. You've got to be careful as a receiver who's reliant on speed, not the biggest guy, not the get up and go at the point of attack on the boundary. So, you know, those skills could fade at a time, you know, once he gets into 30. He's only 29 this year. Feels like he's been in the league for a long time, but it's, it certainly does. A number of teams he's been on, he'll want to, you know, to find some continuity. And it's I think it's a good deal for both sides. Slightly surprised at the percentage of guarantees, but certainly the Browns in the contract for Watson, JC Tretter, head of the Players Union, pushing for that. They've opened Pandora's box and, you know, they've certainly set a president, has Casario set a president in terms of guarantees for future extensions with guys, possibly, but also on the same side of that, we've probably not got too many guys apart from Titus Howard and a couple of others that, that, uh, and Jonathan Grenard that may command those extensions. Um, but certainly I think it was a good mutual deal for both sides that we can 
move on and, and have a foundational piece who can teach the young guys but also still have a high level of production on a Sunday. Hearing from Lovey, Pep and Frank Ross in front of the media as well as a couple of players, Davis Mills was out there this week, didn't say a huge amount. I think one of the couple of points that I noted to pick up on was the footwork element. I think that was something that you know I noted down last year in terms of the tape of Mills just not quite getting you know those you know three, five and seven drops at times on the deep shots to get that head up and get you know get into position to make the throw and get us an accurate and secure launch point for the ball um, and that's going to be you know huge if he's going to continue to find deep ball accuracy which is, is so imperative in this league right now so that was a really important point I think to to that he said and Pep said he had to work on so if he does that will certainly give him a chance to make explosive plays and guys like Brandon Cooks, Brevin Jordan etc you know, we'll, we'll find yards and we'll beat cornerbacks in behind as well. Lovey Smith, some people perhaps thought he tipped his hand in terms of the cornerback play comment. They had to get better at cornerback if they want to get better at their goals. I mean, and, and I don't necessarily think that is representative of what they're thinking at 3 or 13. It might well be. <laughs> we'll see over the, over the time in the next couple of weeks. But certainly I think, you know, cornerback has been an issue like running back has been an issue for a number of years so it was perhaps maybe more stating the obvious um it might be a thinly veiled message to nick um or it might just be a frustration of his that he he thought he'd put out there and a challenge to guys like lonnie johnson who are going to have to take a big step forward Stephen Nelson was in the building. Bounced around a couple of teams, had a great final season in Kansas City after being drafted there. Went to Pittsburgh for a couple of years last year in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is perhaps not in the most securest spot in the secondary corner, is very much a year to year position. But, you know, I think that the point is if. Nelson is better than Terence Mitchell then that is an incremental step forward in this roster you know and we highlighted Mitchell as a guy who you should be able to upgrade from and if you're seeing that level of progress then the overall roster quality and perhaps some quantity on some aspect is improving I think that's the key point is the roster improving this year versus other the biggest talent injection will be the draft um, but interesting to see more quality names and of a higher pedigree certainly with Deshaun Hamilton coming in as an option Marlon Mack you know these guys are here for a reason they've got something to prove whether it be injury whether it be form but certainly it seems like there's you know after all the controversy is gone there's draft picks Davis Mills is certainly gathering a lot of attention and you know let's see how he goes you know I think you know I was thinking about it this week and you know, we'll find out very quickly in training camp where Mills is and where he's come back. I thought he looked more of a filled out athlete when he was sitting speaking to the media. And you've got to expect that he starts the season well. And I think the sophomore test for Davis will be how does he find the challenges when, you know, after three or four weeks of this new scheme, which he talked about, and he talked about being excited about the ways Pep was going to open up the field and let them make plays in the passing game. But how much will he respond to the challenges as well as the coaching staff to when people find their tendencies, where they find proficiencies in, in certain plays and certain looks and go-tos and people start to take that away. What's option A, what's, you know, is taken away 
what's B, what's C and what's D in the playbook and that's a lot of mental processing for a year two guy with a limited amount of starts but that's the big challenge that he'll, he'll come up against but that, that'll be the true test I think you know and I expect him to start the season well looking back on you know how he finished the season if he doesn't then you know we're in for trouble but I would assume you know right now uh, with the ways come in with the, the, the faith you know and Lovey talked about being a believer of him and I think you'll certainly be able to believe in the first couple of weeks I think it's then the second and third stage of the season when teams start to game plan change the way they do things how does he respond how do the coaching staff respond and that'll be the true test of Davis Mills rather than a handful of starts and kind of patchy games here and there that we saw last season but you know reasonably exciting and look ultimately if Mills is an answer or even just serviceable then this puts this team on a position whereby they can go and find talent at all other positions, and then you might have a couple of years to evaluate that. But we'll cross that bridge when it comes. We've got a big draft ahead of us in a couple of weeks. We don't expect them to go quarterback. That would be a shock. But here is my conversation with Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus on the Texans' upcoming draft. So delighted to be joined again this year to talk some draft for the Texans um, by Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Um, Austin, for people that aren't familiar, can you give us a top-line view of your evaluation and how the analytics work uh, kicking out a grade for these prospects? Yeah, absolutely. Working in this draft class, I definitely feel low on it, right, compared to previous years. I don't think there is high-end quarterback talent in this class like last year. I also think that none of the receivers, I'm not taking any of them ahead of Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith as prospects last year. I think where there is blue chip talent is offensive tackle and edge. Beyond that, I think there's really good depth at receiver. There's some good depth at off-ball linebacker, um, interior offensive line, offensive line. I think there's some good pieces, but it's a lack of blue chip talent that I do think is driving like the high end of this class down. You know, Last year, you think about Micah Parsons, Patrick Sertan, the five quarterbacks that win the first round, the three, you know, the three high-end receivers. There was a lot of legitimate J.C. Horn, like high-end talent that people really coveted. And this year, I think there are a lot of players that would go behind those players if they were in the same class. Yeah, and how do you um, when you when you guys are working out a grade, and how 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 possible is it to take into account kind of scheme fit and and uh, and all these kind of stuff? You know, what is where you get a different grade if you've been in zone or or press man coverage, for example, and in, in a secondary player. How how possible is that, and how does all the kind of data points make it universal for teams and, and kind of fans alike to to understand a prospect? Yeah, I think what's great about a lot of the more predictive prospect data is, you know, measurables, athletic testing, a lot of this production figures that PFF has, none of these quarterbacks are overwhelmingly accurate, maybe outside of Kenny Pickett. Even Kenny Pickett isn't in that tier of Burrow, Murray, Mayfield that have been there in the past. And, you know, you look at Malik Willis with a lot of tools, but not super accurate with the football, high pressure to sack conversion rate or sack to pressure conversion rate. You have Desmond Ritter is very similar from an accuracy perspective. Sam Howell, very similar in RPO offenses too. You know, Sam Howell, 46% of his offensive snaps are RPO. It's like no offense in the NFL is going to do. So there's a lot of projectable data, both from a measurables and athleticism perspective, and then even in production, true pass rush win rate, pass blocking sets, all that stuff where there just isn't obvious, obvious blue chip talent. Like there just isn't. And I think um, just because it's a down year doesn't mean I think you can't get starters. I just think, I don't think we'll be looking back at this class saying, oh, wow, like a litany of Hall of Fame talent, a litany of all pro talent. It's why I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of trade down opportunities and people not necessarily interested in 
prioritizing this year's classes than much are next year. You saw that with the Philadelphia Eagles, right? Trading away a first round yep. pick this pick up a first and a second in future draft. Yeah, and in terms of the the kind of outlook for the next couple of classes, do you, do you feel that like this class is maybe somewhere in the realms of like kind of twenty nineteen level of quality, where there's you know there is a number of players you know at the top two or three, and then they kind of pretty much between about twentieth and sixtieth, there isn't much in it in terms of value across the board. No, I think that's a good comparison for sure. I think that it's it's very similar in that you know the player that goes to ten is not going to be all that dissimilar to the player that goes to twenty or twenty five, and that's why I think day two in this class is where a lot of people are going to have value, right? There's there's starting safeties that'll be available in day two. They're starting off ball linebackers, starting interior offensive linemen, and all that stuff. That I think there's legitimate projectable starters, maybe not again these blue chip talents, but guys that I think can legitimately enter the NFL and have some success. So from a Texans point of view, Austin, uh, sitting with the third overall and 13th overall, assuming they don't trade out, which I think teams will want to, but you've got to have a partner to do that. And if the quality's not there, it'll be tough unless you can kick into further years. But would you see any ideal fits and picks at those top two spots? Yeah, for number three overall, I think the biggest thing is offensive tackle. I think they should lock into an offensive tackle or a top flight edge defender there. I think it's a premium position and there are some really good players at those spots, right? It could be Aiden Hutchinson if he falls that far, Kayvon Thibodeau, Trayvon Walker. I think all three of those guys are worthwhile selections at number three overall. And then you look at the offensive tackle class, I'd put Evan Neal, Ike Kwanu, and Charles Cross top of my list at number three overall. I don't think I'm looking at Hamilton, the safety from Notre Dame. I'm not looking at Ahmad Garner or Derek Stingley at number three. I think really you should hone in on offensive tackle or edge if they do stay put right now there's opportunity for them to trade back if your team's looking to go up and grab a quarterback who knows but if they stay put at three i think it should be offensive tackle or edge and then at 13 that's where i think they can be more versatile with what they do i think my least favorite decision at 13 is off ball linebacker i i I think i would much rather prioritize um, wide receiver there at that spot cornerback or even pass rusher if they don't go pass rusher at three say it's evan neal at three george carlotis at 13 or um Ike Aquanu at three, maybe even Jordan Davis at 13. I think going in the trenches with both those picks is probably my dream scenario for the Texans. Yeah, and you mentioned it there in terms of like fallen stock, falling up and down. Obviously, you guys take a grade um, over a number of seasons and particularly Sam Howell's one guy that I noticed that's rated higher than a lot of guys um, would necessarily have them on consensus. I'm assuming that's because it's over a number of years. But when you, when you guys have kind of got a fixed number, that an analytical output from you know a number, a number of uh, touch points across a, a number of years in college. How do you kind of uh, kind of use that as a backdrop versus the kind of rhetoric in the media of guys are falling, guys are dropping, um, yeah. Tavon Walker's, you know, jump up the board, you know, is, is the phrase used, but is that necessarily representative of what teams think? I don't think so. I think risers and fallers is very much like a media-driven narrative, yeah. right? I think it's media catching up on players, right? I think a lot of the league knew how athletic Trayvon Walker was before his combine, right? I think a lot of people... <laughs> talking to Georgia player, you know, Georgia coaches and all that stuff. I think it's similar, you know, any player that oftentimes you're catching up to from an athleticism standpoint, teams are you're well aware of through the resources they have with the college programs, et cetera. So I'm not, I don't think I, like I said, I, I really do think that teams are not as volatile with their board, right? Walker is not rising for the lions as much mm-hmm. as he is for a lot of other people, a lot of other media in response. And in terms of this class, Austin, who are your guys? Who are the kind of guys you might be underrated, uh, might be less talked about, um, sleepers, you know, is the kind of phrases used. But have you got you got a couple of guys that, you know, if you were in a, yeah. in a war room, you'd, uh, you'd pound the table for to, to come in the building? 
I think Charles Cross, in terms of like high profile guys, I think Charles Cross is getting pretty underrated in this class. I'm a huge George Karloftis fan as well. Chris Olave is one of my guys. Sky Moore. Those are all guys that I think ultimately do go in the top 50 picks. But some sleepers that I like, I like Keontae Ingram, the running back out of USC. I think he's a day three player I'd like to invest in. I like also Bo Melton, the, the wide receiver out of Rutgers, who's a former four-star recruit that you know declined to go play at Michigan to go play at Rutgers because he's a Jersey kid and wanted to stay in Jersey. So I think there's a lot of really good talent from that player that maybe didn't play at a high profile school. So Ingram's one, Bo Melton's another. I really like Bully Ball McCall, Marquand McCall, the defensive tackle out of Kentucky, struggled with a bit of weight concerns and, and couldn't really see the field. But if he can really hone it all in, I think he's got the demeanor, right, to play really well in the NFL. So there are some like day three guys that, you know, it's like, oh, I like that trait or I like that specific, you know, specific school skill set that he has. Maybe he's not a perfect player or even a starter out of the gate, but guys that I really like coming on. And you're a San Diego State guy. Is that right? I'm a big San Diego State guy. That's right. Graduated from San Diego State in May of 2017. So is this going to be the record year for San Diego State, guys? I did a, a film breakdown of uh, Cam Thomas. I'll, I'll send you that after this. But you got Ariza, the punter, or you got the tailback in there as well. Um, a number of prospects. Dunkel as well um, yeah. in there. Um, a number of guys. Is this going to be a record year for draft picks for the school? I hope so, man. I, that would be pretty sweet to see. I think Cameron Thomas could easily be, you know, a top 65, top 70 player in this class. His brother, Zachary Thomas, is a really good run blocking offensive tackle. You have Bill Dunkel, another offensive lineman there at San Diego State. I think it's uh, Chance Bell or, or Greg Bell, the running back from San Diego yeah. State at Ariza. Like, it, it, we have some talent. We have some talent. I won't, I don't know. We had like a previous draft class where we had Demonte Casey, Rashad Penny. Um, Nico Siragusa. Maybe it's mm. not a record here, but I think it would be a pretty good one. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, if you got a chance of getting a punter drafted, that's going to help the help the school, right? So, <laughs> um, in terms of some of the positions, with just predominantly the defensive side of the ball, in terms of kind of uh, cover two, cover three safeties, um, that kind of reverted in and out those kind of formations last year uh, under Lovey Smith. Um, in terms of safety classes, are any uh, these guys that you think? What do you think of the position group as a whole? Yeah, I like the safety class a lot. Like starting at pick twenty five. Right. I don't think any, you know, Kyle Hamilton, I think is a phenomenal player, but when you get to you know, where the Houston Texans will be picking a little bit in the second round or day two, it's more looking at guys like Jaquan Brisker, Penn State, Louis Seen of Georgia, Jalen Petrie, Baylor, uh, Nick Cross of Maryland, I think is a vastly underrated player in this class. I wouldn't be surprised if he was one of those like surprises at the back end of the first that's not being consistently mocked in that range. He's got really good range. He's got really good speed. Uh, I think Nick Cross of Maryland is one of my guys as well. And then that, you know, you bring, didn't bring up Kirby Joseph, who I think has interesting mm -hmm. length. Daxton Hill, Michigan is another interesting player. So I think it's a really good safety class that where I, like I said, I think you can get starters at that position on day two. Yeah. And Kirby Joseph, big ties to Lovey Smith being in Illinois. So it could be, and product and a lot of ball production as well, you know, in his particularly in his final year. So I think he's a name definitely to watch out. And um, it's definitely been talked about edge as being the deepest position in this class. Um, is there is there guys you can see into sort of kind of late day two that could be the next sort of Max Crosby, those kind of mid-round guys that kind of that kind of find production that, that, that completely outweighs their draft slate? Maybe, maybe not an edge. I think a lot of the talented edge defenders will be taken early in this year's draft. But interior offensive line is where I see some of that, right? Aaron Kennard, uh, Kentucky offensive tackle. If he plays guard, I think he can start right away. I really like Tyler Smith of Tulsa. Now he might even go in first round. I mean, I think he's got really good tools to do so. Abraham Lucas, Washington State, I think is a talented offensive lineman. Cole Strange, Chattanooga, Luke Fortner, Kentucky. There's a lot of starters. Like I said, at some of these low value positions, safety off ball linebacker and interior offensive line, go get yourself a starter on day two.
in, you know, some of these interior offensive line prospects, safety prospects and off-ball linebackers like Chad Muma, Wyoming, Darian Beavers, uh, Cincinnati, Brandon Smith, Penn State, Christian Harris, Alabama. These are all like really good off-ball linebacker prospects that no one's sprinting to, you know, put the card in in the first round for these guys. But if you're taking them in the second and third round, whereas at receiver edge or corner, you're probably not getting a starter. I think you're getting a starter at those positions. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think a position we really need to kind of find a way at and, and build an identity in the secondary. In terms of corners and predominantly the through predominantly zone looks, is there guys here that you think could offer value in, in zone schemes? Yeah, I mean, in the first round, I like McDuffie, I like Carla Gordon. I think those guys in zone schemes will have a lot of success. If that could be, you know, if Gordon falls to the second round, which I think there's a chance he could. I think he's a really interesting athlete. I think he's had a sub force second short shuttle, really fast three cone that change of direction is something I would want to buy into. You know, after that, Petrie is a slot cornerback type that I really like. Roger McCreary, another one, probably not a fit in his own. He, you know, he even said at the senior bowl, right? He's like, I've never played really zone. I want to play a lot of man coverage in the NFL. I think it's a better fit for man heavy schemes. But in terms of zone cornerbacks, Simon McCollum, you know, is someone I think I would invest in as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And in terms of um, when you look back on last year's kind of evaluation of the class, um, Davis Mills obviously getting picked up in the third round. We've had all the kind of turmoil of the Deshaun Watson situation. When you look back on the evaluation that you had on Mills, where do you how do you how does that kind of match up to how he's kind of progressed in the pros? Yeah, he's definitely exceeded expectations, right? I don't think anyone expected him to have such early success last year, especially when you compare it to Trevor Lawrence and his slow start and Zach Wilson not having the best start to the season. And Mac Jones was really you know, the most impressive rookie quarterback, and he wasn't even, you know, he's the fifth player taken. So Davis Mills, am I pitching my wagon to him like the Giants have with Daniel Jones? Probably not, but I am obviously interested in seeing another year while this isn't a really good quarterback class. I think if there were better quarterback prospects in this class. If you were looking or staring in the face of CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, or, you know, Will Levis, I think there could be different conversation for Houston this year. And they're not as eager to play Davis Mills another season. But I think when you look at how they approach free agency, right? A lot of short-term deals. They're not looking to make like big, big splashes yet. I think they know that they're still very much in the heat of a rebuild. They're not looking to like take aggressive steps like the Bengals did, right? Bengals had a three offensive linemen, four offensive linemen, this free agency um, so much that they, they can improve at all these different spots because they know they're in a window right now with obviously a really talented young quarterback. Yeah, absolutely. And in, in terms of kind of building around the young quarterback, is there um, is, is there certain steps you think that we can learn from kind of, you know, obviously Jamar Chase being the big one last year, but is there certain steps you think you can take from the draft and, and, and take, take players at certain spots that can help develop them? I mean, is it as simple as putting weapons around them and guys that can stand up or is it, or is it, or is it more nuanced than that? I really do think it's that simple, right? But I also think at certain positions, it's getting better in talent. I think their offensive line needs to improve. The receiving core, I think you can add youth. I think at 13, they could consider receiver, depending if Drake London, Chris Olave, whoever may be there, Garrett Wilson, another option as well. But like, just throw the kitchen sink at resource on offense because it's out after Brandon Cooks and Laramie Tunsil, there's just not a ton of talent there, right? There's not a ton of talent uh, on that roster from a receiving core perspective. Yeah, and in terms of how you see kind of night one or any kind of the theories and how you see the draft going this year, have you got any kind of uh, uh, working working theories or or, um, or paradigms you think you can uh, you know you can impart on us or the way you see it going? Yeah, I, I do think that Trayvon Walker is going to go high, right? Yeah. I think he goes as high as one. I think he could be the number one overall pick. I think he go to the Detroit Lions at two. Houston will consider him at three, and if they do. It's interesting for them to, to pass on one of these blue chip offensive tackle prospects. I think right now, Evan or Ikea Kwanu is minus 115 to be picked inside the top three. And we yeah. know 
the Detroit Lions are going to take him at two with Panay and Taylor Decker there. So I do think that um, you know what could ultimately happen is Trayvon Walker goes higher than people think, cross falls a bit further than people think, and then Derek Stingley Jr. I think is now a lock to go inside the top 12 when sometimes we've seen him fall a bit further than that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And draft night, are you uh, any traditions or are you just working flat out? Or the whole working weekend. Flat out, man. I wish I would. Then the only tradition is work, right? I don't think there's a lot of other things you can do outside of that. <laughs> and you've got you've got a series coming up with Aiden Hutchinson, is that right? And you got some other stuff going on the PFF. Yep, definitely check out the Hutch podcast. It's uh, you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Four part podcast series. Um, it comes out, I think, in like five hours, dude. It comes out uh, Wednesday, April thirteenth, which we're really excited to to release. And then you can check out all my work on pff.com. Twitter is pff underscore Austin Gale, and then you can check my podcast out, Tailgate, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, that's great, Austin. Thank you very much for your time again this year. Great to speak to you. Um, you're a busy, busy man. Um, being on NFL Network and everything, so uh, thank you very much for your time. I much appreciate them all. Speak to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you.